Ever wonder which mall would make the best hideout during a Last of Us-style zombie apocalypse? Online casino Jeff Bet ranked American malls based on their infection risk, access to guns, medicine, and likelihood of rescue. Coming out on top was Mill Creek Mall in Erie, Pennsylvania, beating out the Mall of America in Bloomington, Minnesota. The Galleria in Houston, Texas, however, was rated one of the worst places to ride out societal collapse. Sorry, Houston. At least you still have the Astros. This is Pulse Check. I'm Ruth Reader. California Governor Gavin Newsom is asking President Biden to let him use Medicaid dollars to help cover housing costs for the homeless. He's calling the experiment transitional rent. If approved, the program would pay for six months of rent or temporary housing to individuals who are likely to experience homelessness and are at risk of ending up in a hospital or emergency room. The proposed budget is $117 million for the first year. Healthcare experts and institutions like Kaiser Permanente for years have experimented with incorporating guaranteed housing into medical care as a way to reduce expensive emergency room visits. The main concern is that paying for housing at a time of high inflation could be costly. In a Senate Help Committee hearing on Wednesday, Moderna CEO Stefan Bonsell defended his company's plan to increase the list price of its COVID-19 vaccine to $130, saying the company has already fulfilled its obligations to the federal government. Committee Chair Bernie Sanders and other lawmakers on both sides of the aisle pressed the pharma executive for details on the company's promised patient assistance program after the public health emergency ends. Bonsell said the company is still working on the details of the program. He also said his company is ironing out the price Medicare and the VA will pay for the vaccine once it's commercialized. And a new report highlights, somewhat alarmingly, discrepancies in CDC reporting data. Krista Marr is here to break it down. Hi, Krista. Thanks so much for being here. Hey, Ruth. So you've got this interesting piece out covering a new report that says the CDC overstated how many Americans have gotten COVID shots. Who did this report and what did they find? The report is by a group called the COVID States Project, and they are a collaborative of researchers who got together in March 2020 and have been putting out like a series of reports about to kind of help inform policymakers about how Americans are kind of behaving in this pandemic. There are researchers from Northeastern, Northwestern, Rutgers, and Harvard, and this is their 100th report. So what they did for this report was they did this really big survey, where I think just about 25,000 Americans in all 50 states and D.C., and they asked them about their vaccination status. And what they found in through talking to people were numbers that were really different from the, what the CDC gives for certain vaccine categories. And in particular, the biggest difference was for people who had had at least one shot, so some kind of vaccination coverage. And the, the CDC figure for that is about 92.2% of adults had at least one shot. And this survey found that it was 75% of respondents said that they had at least one shot. So that's a really, really big difference, especially when you're looking at it from the, through the lens of how many people have not had any vaccination whatsoever. CDC finds about 8% of people wouldn't have had any vaccination whatsoever, and the group finds that about 25% of the American population has had no vaccine. How could something like this happen? 
This is actually a data issue that the CDC acknowledges. It is on their website. It is mentioned in like a couple of MMWRs, like their reports about vaccination data. And the problem stems from the way that they have to get their data. So the U.S. like doesn't have a national vaccine registry. You know, when we go and get all of our different COVID shots, we bring our vaccination card into CVS or our local pharmacy or whatever. And that's how states link together to say Christamar has had five different shots. But let's say like I don't bring my vaccination card every time and I go to five different pharmacies. A lot of the times what's happening is that that's then being recorded as five different people getting five different shots. So that is a natural kind of overcount that is going into the process. And because the CDC has to rely on state data, collecting the data from the states and reporting that data, they naturally have this overcount that happens. And the CDC has acknowledged this and says on its website that this is likely to happen, but never Nevertheless, this is the data that they have to work with. So that's the data that they've been reporting. The way that I've thought about this or I'm curious about is like, I have gotten COVID shots in different states, for example, Mm -hmm. from different pharmacies. And even within my state, I found that it was hard to sort of consolidate those records into one place. In New York State, where I live, we had a app where we were supposed to be able to input this data. But I'm curious if it's things like that that sort of make it difficult for the CDC to know how many people have actually had vaccinations. Well, exactly. I mean, the CDC, when it gets the data from the two states where you've had your vaccinations, it's not like they say Ruth Reader, you know, on both of those things. These are they are de-identified information. So the CDC says that it tries to link up the data when it can, but it just can't always. And so it ends up with this natural overcount. The example that the researchers used in their paper was Massachusetts. So like in Massachusetts, they actually report more people in the state got at least one shot than actually live in the state as adults. So that is a natural kind of occurrence. And again, you know, the CDC knows it's happening, but that is the data that they have to work with. I think that what the researchers are arguing is that caveat hasn't been very clearly communicated to people. So that people are taking this at face value, for instance, us in the media or policymakers in Washington, you know, and throwing around these numbers that are on the CDC website without really taking on board that there is this kind of like margin of error built into the restricted collection system the CDC naturally has to work with. Right. And it also seems like, you know, in the case of that Massachusetts example where you have more COVID shots than you have people, that is also something that should be flagged for the CDC or that, you know, maybe their data researchers might notice or somehow perhaps highlight to people looking at their data from the outside and say, hey, here's the context for this number. I'm curious, what has the CDC's response been to this? Well, the CDC has not commented specifically on this story yet. 
they have consistently said from Dr. Walensky through various officials in the CDC have said that they need to strengthen their authority as an organization to be able to get better data. This is something that they totally acknowledge has hindered their ability to really process and understand what's going on on the ground with people and COVID. And they have, you know, strongly urged Congress to help them strengthen their data authorities. So I think that their position is probably that they would be able to do better with better data. And I think that that's probably true. But right now, they really have to rely on how states collect their data and work with that. The CDC is also under this process or going through a process of modernizing. Is there any indication that even without an act from Congress, that some of their either data collection or data processing might improve through this process? I think that it ultimately will. You know, I mean, this has been a a total priority for Dr. Walensky, and it's been from before even the time where she really initiated this kind of like agency-wide reform. And it is also part of the agency-wide reform that has, you know, kicked off since last summer. I think that, you know, she often talks about, you know, making all kind of like the pieces of the pipeline connect together. And you can see how in a case like this, how important that would be so that like all of the vaccination data gets kind of connected and linked up in the same way in every state so that they have a uniform body of data to work with and then, you know, analyze and process. I think this is like actually a really good example of why, you know, the agency needs to be able to have better ability to demand data in a certain format. I don't think they'd quite put it that way because they put it more in terms of like partnering with states. But in my own words, like be able to demand certain data from states that would help them analyze things better. How important is vaccination tracking at this point for the CDC? I feel like we've come up like a pretty long way in terms of the COVID pandemic. Obviously, COVID is still around, but it does seem like the interest in documenting its every, you know, expansion, contraction, and also vaccination rates has sort of dwindled. Two things. I mean, one is like the idea that if this becomes like a yearly shot, the flu shot that we all get, it's unclear how that sort of tracking will work at a government level. The second thing is that the CDC and other public health experts argue should happen is that there really should be something more like a national vaccine registry where that is public health information that gets put into a national system, obviously a privacy protected national system. We have a clear picture as a nation of like what our vaccination levels are, which works a little better than the system that we have now. So it sounds like there is still a need for this kind of tracking. You know, we do want to know not just about our own COVID vaccinations, but also vaccinations for other diseases. Obviously, we've also had some like strange outbreaks recently of like polio in New York. Right. (laughs) The utility is still there here. And so there's a reason for the CDC to want to get this right. I think absolutely. Well, thank you so much for talking and walking me through this really interesting story. Thank you for having me, Ruth. And that's our show. Our music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Annie Reese and Afra Abdullah are our producers. Raghu Manavalan is our editor. 
Our healthcare editors are Eli Reyes, Dan Goldberg, Barbara Van Tyne, Beth Belton, and Sean Zeller. Jenny Ament is the executive producer of audio at Politico. I'm Ruth Reader. Subscribe and follow Pulse Check for a new episode every day. And subscribe to our newsletters where you can read this reporting. Pulse, Future Pulse, and Prescription Pulse. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.